Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Eleanor Benjamin. Eleanor has been telling stories for over 25 years. She was inspired by many, including Newfoundland fiddler and storyteller Emile Benoit, Rita Cox, Bob Barton, and Laura Sims. After 22 years as an administrator with the Newfoundland Public Libraries, she left to devote more time to storytelling, working with the Learning Through the Arts program in schools in western Newfoundland before moving to Nova Scotia in 2011. Lifetime member, former administrator, retired webmaster of Storytellers of Canada, Contour du Canada, she received the Storytellers of Canada, Contour du Canada Storykeeper Award in 2015. Eleanor, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Dale. How, how does it feel to be back in Newfoundland? Like home. Yes. It's just wonderful. You, you can never really get it out of your system, no, I you don't No, you can't. Think. It's no. just kind of like Brigadoon. You're afraid it'll disappear into the <laughs> mist if you leave. But it's still here, thank God. Yes, yeah, we, though we do get the mist, like Brigadoon, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, when did you first arrive in Newfoundland? Uh, 1979. Yeah. And, and what brought you here specifically? Was it a job? A job, yeah. yeah. I applied for... A secretarial post in the Stephenville Library and ended up as the uh, regional librarian for the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> Too long a story. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now you're back in now you're back in Nova Scotia. I am. Yes, my husband and I moved back to Dartmouth when my father was clear my father couldn't live in his house alone anymore, and we've been with him ever since. Yeah. So how did you get started as a storyteller? Uh, it's it's very very clear to me. I was at a Canadian Library Association conference in Halifax in 1987, and I was tired of going to those sessions that had titles like How to Run Your Library Good with No Money. And there was one that said, Words Leap Up, storyteller Laura Sims from New York. Mm -hmm. And I sneaked into that, and the world just opened up. Yeah. (laughs) And then you did a lot of storytelling, like for for a while. Like when I started storytelling, yeah. really, like you were, you were one of the few storytellers who was really working in Newfoundland. Well, and I, I'm not a traditional storyteller. I'm a, a revival storyteller, yeah. and I so I had to work at it. I didn't learn them at my granny's knee, although my mother was an awfully good raconteur. Yeah, I I was a librarian, so it was pretty easy to find out how to learn to do this if you want to. Yeah. So I just started reading. I started buying audio cassettes from other storytellers. And whenever I'd learn X number of stories, I'd give myself a treat by going to a conference or a storytelling festival away. Yeah. And so it went. And uh, Emil Benoit was an, uh, an influence. I think work. so, yeah. I, I met him first as a fiddler. And it was only later that I really discovered his, his storytelling persona. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry I didn't take more advantage of that. Yeah. I was trying to learn to play the fiddle. <laughs> didn't work very well. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, because he was a really great storyteller. Oh, he was fabulous. Yeah. yeah. And had amazing, and he had an amazing repertoire, you know, like uh, skeletons and, and oh, the devil and all the, fabulous the, all stuff. All those yeah. things and the lutins and the... Yeah, the French fairies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the French fairies. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, that's a... You know, there, there, there are some really... Um, interesting bits of uh, kind of oral tradition that still yeah. kind of persist on the west coast of Newfoundland yeah. that uh, you know we don't we don't have here on the east coast of Newfoundland like that that Lutan tradition is, yeah. is very specific like it really yeah. only exists in a small small area yeah, yeah. it's neat yeah it is neat <laughs> so I want to talk to you about one of your most uh, recent projects Cousin Silas and the Moose Woman this is the first time I've ever endeavored to put together a piece right 
I normally just tell stories or I'm part of a larger concert or in the case of uh, Epic, I've joined in, for example, uh, joined in with a friend to do a day-long presentation of the Icelandic saga, Greta the Strong. But this is the first time I've ever actually taken something from scratch and tried to form it into a little piece. So who was Cousin Silas? Cousin Silas was a Nova Scotian named Silas Tertius Rand. He was a Baptist. He became a missionary. Uh, He would have liked to have been a missionary to the Foreign Service, (laughs) but six of his children had died young, and his wife wasn't going to have any of that. And he he received a, a suggestion to turn to the Mi'kmaq, who were his neighbors, and he'd known they were around him all his life. It was it was the time of great awakenings and revivals, and it was a pretty evangelical time. The missionary movement was really burgeoning, and he was wanting to get sucked into it. So where and, where and when was this? This was, well, he was born in 1810 near what is now Kentville in Nova Scotia, and he was the grandson of one of the people that came to Nova Scotia, they all came up from New England to settle on the land that had been taken away from the Acadians during the expulsion. And uh, my my name, I am descended from a man who came in that same migration. There were 20, 22 ships came, there were 2,000 families, about 8,000 people came into Nova Scotia in that decade from about 1861 up into the, uh, sorry, 1761 up into uh, the 1770s. Hmm. Yeah. And so, and he is actually your cousin. He is, yes. (laughs) And I knew about him long before I knew that. Uh, I had been telling, he had, there was a publication, it was made after his death. He, He was an incredible linguist. He had taught himself, well, he did a little Latin in school, but then he taught himself another 11 languages, including Mi'kmaq and Maliseet. And he, uh, he went to work among the Mi'kmaq, presumably as a missionary, but that wasn't where he did his best work. His best work was that he got to know the Mi'kmaq people, talk to them, listen to their stories, developed a, a transcribing system based a little bit on, you know, based on the Latin alphabet and based on uh, a little bit of Pittman shorthand that he used to transcribe. He transcribed all this stuff, and then he translated it. And... Uh, wrote it down and sent it to journals and it got into archives and it went into magazines and uh, he's the person who introduced the stories of Gluskap to English speakers. Right. So now if there are if there are listeners who aren't familiar with that with that uh, personage uh, yes. who is Gluskap? Gluskap is uh, the great uh, hero of the east the northeast uh, native peoples and he goes beyond the Mi'kmaq and the and the the natives of uh, the whole East, the people of the Algonquin languages. He's the, he's the big hero. The big hero. Not quite a god, but not quite a man either. Yeah. A, a very helpful, kind of giant, powerful person. Yeah, kind of like the, yeah. the Mi'kmaq Hercules. And, and he's yeah. also, you know, he's gone away, but maybe he's going to come back. Right. And if you go and if you drive down the highway today near yeah. the airport, you know, there's a giant uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> greeting you as yeah, you come into Nova Scotia. Is. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how did you get interested in in uh, your your cousin Silas's work and and uh, and then decide to turn it into a show? Well, I had uh, some of his stories made their way into popular anthologies of folk tales and folklore. 
uh, probably the most famous one became known as the Indian Cinderella. <laughs> it was a story he had called The Invisible Boy. Mm-hmm. And it involved a family of three girls, two older ones who were nasty and a younger one who was put down all the time, and an invisible warrior who was going to marry the woman who could see him. And so it goes, it, it follows a lot of what we would recognize as a Cinderella plot. And of course, as soon as people found this and glommed onto it, they said, oh, the Indian Cinderella. Yeah, there was a very well-known children's book that I, call, I think called The Rough-Faced Girl. The Rough-Faced Girl. And the story of the character, Wajikisqua, means the girl with the scabby face. Yeah. And that, that has gone on to be retold all over the place. It's only a part of the story. In the story that was told to Rand, and he tells you who his informants are, which I, for which I'm grateful. At the end of most of the stories, he gives credit where due. Mm-hmm. And this was part of a story that went on, so there was uh, The Burned Face Girl, the sequel. Not a happy ending. But a much more complex, uh, powerful tale of things gone terribly awry. Yeah, it's interesting that he, he took the care to identify his his informants the the people who had given him stories yeah. because because quite often in that colonial period that no, that wasn't it didn't done. Happen, you know it didn't no. happen no it didn't do it for all of them but uh, most of them are identified so he was a bit of a he was a, a missionary but he was also a bit of an ethnographer he you've got it absolutely he was an ethnographer he was one of the first ones and he wrote down a lot about customs and manners and he collected stories of customs and manners mm-hmm and, and, and so, oral history as well. And so the the book that was published after after his death was uh, Legends of the Mi'kmaq. Yes, which is a very well known. It uh, is well known. So you can still buy it at the at you the bookstore. Can. Yeah. Well, it's online. Yeah. <laughs> the first time I managed to get my hands on it, I found it in Wolfville in uh, uh, Tillotson's The Odd Book. Jim Tillotson runs a used bookstore there called The Odd Book, and I went in, and there it was. I knew about it. And there it was on a CD. <laughs> remember those? I remember CDs, yeah. I bought the CD. <laughs> I came home. I printed that sucker out. Oh, I don't know how many hundreds of pages of it. And I still have it in a big fat binder. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> when you when you decided that you wanted to, to do this show, that you wanted to turn yeah. this into a piece... Um, can you can you describe your your artistic process? How, where where did you begin? I had the title. You had a title, <laughs> which is a good place as any to start. All I, guess. I had was a title, <laughs> and you know one of those back burner ideas. And I'm such a procrastinator; it sat there and simmered, barely simmered for years. And uh, I knew that I I wanted. I kept reading about him all the time and finding out more about him. And uh, last fall, I decided I'd done. I come over to the March Hare in Cornerbrook, and I, I've done a, a fundraiser for a couple of years running now after the March Hare to help raise money for a new piano in the Rotary Arts Center in Cornerbrook. And so I talked to David Smallwood, who's in charge of that. I said, uh, what would you like me to do this year? I can do this. And, and I, I could do this one called Cousin Silas and the Moose Woman. He said, yes, that's the one I want. Well, it didn't exist. <laughs> so then, so now having committed well, to Well, there's it, nothing to- like... Pressure. Giving yourself a deadline <laughs> to produce something. I, I had a pretty clear idea. But then all of a sudden, things started falling in place. I realized I'd encountered a couple of songs that just had to go in that show. You know how those little fateful moments happen? 
I went to a, a singing workshop run by the Nova Scotia Choral Federation. They brought down the Elmer Eisler Singers from Toronto. What a weekend. Wow. There were two songs we did in that show that just blew me away. The first one was a song by the Acadian. It was not by her. It's a traditional song collected by, or found, rediscovered by Susie LeBlanc, the Acadian soprano. It was a hymn that was sung by the Acadians as they were loaded on board the ships to go into exile. And I knew the show had to be a little bit about, it had to, a lot to be about displacement of people. Mm-hmm. Because I had that, you know, that big guilt about being descended from these people that took over the land from the Acadians. I knew. <laughs> Who in turn had taken that land away from yes. somebody oh, else. Oh, yeah. 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 And so, I, you know, trouble, one's always troubled by that. There's nothing can do about what your ancestors did, but you sort of want to make a, a statement of you're sad about that. Mm-hmm. So I thought I had to start the show with the expulsion to the Acadians and then to show how my ancestors, the planters, had arrived because Silas belonged to that tribe. And uh, so we'd go from there. And also, uh, the English had broken treaties with the Mi'kmaq people, so there's another huge displacement. And Silas was a very perceptive man. He saw that a lot of the conditions the Mi'kmaq were living in in that time were certainly due to us. Mm. He wasn't like a lot of people who just thought they were a bunch of savages. He knew. And he got to know them. They became his friends. So he understood. He saw the whole thing think quite clearly. He was not a condescending person at all. He appreciated he appreciated the culture, the rich culture uh, that he encountered when he got to know people and spoke their language with them, heard their stories. Surprise, surprise. So where where are his records? Where where do you get this information? Oh, well, uh, Acadia University has a Baptist archive and there are a lot of papers of Silas Rand papers there. Unfortunately some of his stuff was destroyed. A lot of the things... He corresponded with Charles Leland and a lot of the other early ethnographers in the States. Stuff was going back and forth, and he was sharing it with them. And a lot of his papers end up at Wellesley College. There was a fire, and they were lost. Uh, some of the things are never re- could not be replaced. But fortunately now, the Internet is grand. Hmm. His... Legends of the Mi'kmaq is online. And then he got into a row with his fellow Baptists about his approach to conversion. And uh, they were, of course, already Christian. The French had been there. They, for, so they were converting them from Catholicism <laughs> to... <laughs> I can't imagine how puzzled they must have been. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he got into a row with his church over his methods. And, and afterwards, he was... If you can imagine this, he was excommunicated from his Baptist congregation. <laughs> and eventually everybody calmed down and he realized he, he was not impressed with the response of his fellow evangelicals. And he wrote a rather uh, splenetic pamphlet about all this. That's online. And a lot of his the other things he wrote were online. The funny thing about him is that he kept diaries, but he kept them... This man had learned Latin, Greek, modern Greek, Italian, Spanish, German, Hebrew, and Mi'kmaq, Maliseet, and Mohawk. And he kept his diaries in a mixture of Greek, Mi'kmaq, English, and Pittman shorthand. So <laughs> there aren't too many people around that can translate. Uh, yes, yeah. So they haven't been fully translated in 
I'm too old to learn <laughs> Micmac, yeah. Creek, that's and like a, That's Jordan. a job for 10 people right And there, I'm not I a think. scholar. Yeah. <laughs> but so there's a thesis for someone. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's all these disparate pieces of information. There's, you yeah. know, there's, there's stuff online. There's stuff in the archives. You have these songs. You, yeah. The you songs have, have nothing to do with him. They just happened to me. And then how, how did you take that kind of morass of information and, and turn it into... I a, said to my husband, I've got all this stuff. What am I going to do? He says... Welcome to the wonderful world of getting it down after you've done all the research. Um, it started out probably about two hours worth of stuff. There's the, the song. There's another song in that it's based on an Algonquin poem that's been set to music by a Canadian composer. So uh, the first round uh, was about an hour and fifteen minutes long, and then I had somebody say, oh, "We'd like a forty-minute version of it." Ah! And then you start. You start taking precious little bits out that you love, but that's that's true. I mean, that's the nature of editing. Yeah, it's the it's nature of editing. It's the nature of any kind of writing. Yeah. So you got it down to. Uh, uh, it's uh, maybe we'll see now. <laughs> <laughs> it's down to about it's down to about an hour now. Yeah. And I did produce a forty-minute version for a group last week by taking one of the stories out. Right. Yeah. So. Uh, you um, you you said that this is the first time, really, that you've done a, a piece like this, that, yeah. that you've done a, a complete piece with music and, yeah. and whatnot. How, how is that for you as a performer? Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but exciting. Yeah. 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 I've only, I've in my retirement, I've taken up singing in choirs again. And since I'm, I'm not very physically active, I'm finding it very healthy. And so I've started taking singing lessons. And what's the point? Spending all this money, might as well do, <laughs> something, do something with yeah. it. You got to get your money's worth. If yeah, you're I do. Classes, so, uh, and when I happened upon these songs that just seemed to be things that landed from the skies, yeah, I just had to put them in there. Also, I think it gives a little break, in it gives a, a nice little yeah. structure to the thing, so it's not all one mass of information. So the so the show starts with the expulsion of the Acadians, yeah. and then and then the arrival of your people into Nova yes. Scotia, and then and and then at what point we're going do you... to get some stories from him, right? Yeah, I I haven't got too long. I don't want to spend too long doing the history stuff, but I'm also going to give you a little bits from his diaries, mm-hmm. or his writings, or his introductions to things. Yeah. And so where where did you where were the diaries then were they in the Baptist archive or? I don't I think they're up at Acadia somewhere yeah. um I haven't been up to Acadia to dig around I found enough stuff online and uh, a biography of him uh, I've got more than I need if yeah. I go up to Acadia and start digging. Yeah, <laughs> it'll turn into a <laughs> six-hour show dive instead into of a, the yeah. morass and never emerge again. <laughs> and and you were saying that you you told me before we we started recording ex- the exact relationship between you and him. So he is what he your... is my second cousin, five times removed. Right. I didn't do that myself. My uh, family tree program calculated that for me. It would have taken me much longer to get that yeah. all figured out. So that's interesting because we, we often, you know, as people who are interested in history, we're, we're talking about kind of figures who are kind of abstract. They're, they're, yeah. they're not us. They're somebody yeah. else. And so what is, how is that to, find, to have that family connection? That is precisely what's fascinating about mm. it. I mean, I, I lived away from Nova Scotia all my life. I was born there and taken away when I was seven and now i'm back and here's this way in 
and I realized how ignorant I was of Nova Scotia history. Right. And this has just been this lovely way in to learn more and more and more. You, you were saying how he was a bit of a, a language expert, a polyglot, I yeah. guess is the right word. And yeah. he spoke all these languages. And, and Latin was something that yeah. he was passionate about. And he got into an argument. Yes. <laughs> a long-distance argument over Latin well, translations. Uh, there was a strange hobby among men of literature in those <laughs> days, Protestant men of literature. They, they had a hobby of translating Protestant hymns into Latin. I don't know who the audience was for this, yeah. but it was just an intellectual exercise. And for Silas, it was a mode of relaxation. And I, I, I love this little bit, but it just it won't fit into the show because it's... Who know if I have a longer version of it, it might. But he had translated Rock of Ages, and so had Prime Minister Gladstone of England. And Silas saw Prime Minister Gladstone's translation and thought he could do a better job. And so he wrote to him and told him so in no uncertain terms. He was not a man to, to mince words. He was a, an opinionated man. He provided his own translation, and Gladstone responded and thanked him graciously, appreciated that... He had a point of view, and so did Gladstone. And uh, there's a postcard back from the Prime Minister of England. Yeah. So they had this the long distance yeah. uh, rivalry almost. <laughs> yeah. 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 I want I wanted to get back into the the yeah. Migma the Migma yeah. piece of it the Migma story, um, because that that uh, that story the Migma Cinderella story the the rough faced yeah. girl um, pe- I think people who like stories do know that story. Yeah. But you're saying then 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 there's this second half of the story much deeper much more and, troubling. And did you know the second half of the story before you started this project? Uh, well, I had read it in when I first printed off the whole Legends of the Mi'kmaq, because yeah. it's in there. Because the, the children's book kind of yes. ends <laughs> with the impression that it is a happily ever yeah. after story. So what, what happened? What's, the, what's the, the, the second half of the story then? Uh, well... And maybe, maybe we could back up, because okay. she, she comes to... Uh, the hero of the heroine of the story yes. comes comes to the camp and meets the moose woman. We we haven't we've talked about the moose cousin woman, yes. Silas, but we haven't talked about the moose woman. Well, the moose woman is uh, the sister in the in the rough faced girl story. The the warrior, the invisible warrior, his totem is Tiam Moose, and uh, eventually bad things happen, and Tiam wants to pass his power on to his sister, so she becomes Tiam Squa, which means the moose woman. So uh, he tries to pass on his power. I shouldn't say too much. <laughs> well, no. He comes to it, and when he realizes when he's dying, he wants to pass his power on to her, and he tells her how to do it. But unfortunately, she is not able to look after the medicine. He's given her this medicine, and she's not able to look after it well enough to prevent disaster from breaking out. And to me, that's, that's a big message. Mm. We're all given medicine, yeah, and we don't always manage to look after it. All we need to do is look around. Yeah, yeah. I thought th- there's more to this story than just a cute little Cinderella story. And, and so, is that kind of a metaphor th- then for yeah. the interaction between the Mi'kmaq and, and settlers? For and me, it is, and I, I have no Mi'kmaq in me at all. And there, uh, perhaps I, I have no right to tell these stories, but they're the ones that my relative, my tribes person collected so and they're out there they're published and i respect them greatly he's been criticized for rather condescending versions of how he's translated them but he translated them in the language of his time which 
you know, you're familiar with Victorian English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's it's not going to sound like what a, a, a Mi'kmaq speaker would, would say now. Yeah. How how well known do you think his work is in Nova Scotia? Uh, not very. When I did this show the first time, a lot of people came and had never heard of him before. I did a little survey at the end. Have you ever heard of Silas Rand before you came to this show? And most people hadn't. And I thought, here's really a remarkable Nova Scotian. Uh, he's, he's respected by most of the Mi'kmaq people I've talked to, um, not because he was a missionary. He was a flop as a missionary. Right. <laughs> he converted one person. Right, yeah. But he had friends. And they did respect what he, his work with the language. He didn't get it all right. Yeah. He made some wonderful blunders. You know, it's, it, we're here with the Storytelling Festival, and Ivan Coyote was talking uh, in, a, in a talk here at Memorial University about failure, about the word failure, failure. and about how, how sometimes that's a really good Thing. So, you know, his failure as a missionary was meant, meant that he, he succeeded in these other kind of He actually of said somewhere in his writing that he thought of all the things he did, did good in, his best work was done with the Mi'kmaq language. He did produce a dictionary, which is pretty hard to use, hmm. <laughs> and he produced a grammar. And, uh, and he produced a spelling system, which they hadn't had before then. The, the, uh, the French priest had given them a sort of ideographic or pictogram system, but that, that was only for a prayer book. Right. You, couldn't, uh, you couldn't reproduce it, and you couldn't use it to transcribe more material. It was simply the prayer book. Hmm. So he gave them a way to transcribe their language and to learn how to write it down so that anybody who could speak it would be able to write it down and pass it on, and thus much was preserved. So uh, you are doing the, the show here uh, in, in St. John's as part of the St. John's Storytelling yeah. Festival. Um, what is the future life for this work? Where, what, would, what would you like to I, do with I'd it? just like to go around to little communities in Nova Scotia and share it with people so they know a little about this interesting man who, lives, who lived an hour out of Halifax up in the Annapolis Valley. And also, I, I, see, I see history as a progression of deportations and um, people in exile uh, look around the world now I I think we're not very good at letting people live in peace anywhere so this is just a small slice of that larger human progression so uh, this is maybe a probing (laughs) question but do you have a slightly political uh, motive for doing this this story or is it just Uh, well it's I think the the first song is a is is a French song and the message of the first song although it's a hymn is that nothing lasts everything passes away Hmm. Uh, we're here for a brief day we we make our appearance in the world and then poof we're gone and <laughs> whatever fame or or good we achieved is yeah gone so it was a very it's actually a very zen hymn <laughs> <laughs> and somebody once asked me if it was a unitarian hymn <laughs> it's very fatalistic yeah well thank you very much for for coming on the show uh, i i i like to end just by 
by asking you if, if people are interested in learning more about your work, how do they how do they track you down? How do they how do they oh, find I'm, you? I'm out there. Yeah, <laughs> I you have, have a, a website. So how do people find your website? What is the? It's what is just my name, Eleanor with an I. Eleanor, Eleanor with an Benjamin. Dot. Dot ca. Dot ca. Yeah. yeah. I've got a face. Well, I'm on Facebook, but that's not what my Facebook page is. Yeah, about. and and you you also have a profile then on the Storytellers of Canada. I website. do. Yes, I'm a yeah. member of Storytellers of Canada. Yeah, and they have a website. Which is, it's changed. It's, it's it? storytellers hyphen conteur, C-O-N-T-E-U-R-S, period, dot C-A. Yeah. And if you just Google Storytellers Canada, you'll probably run into it fairly soon. Yeah. And are you performing much in, in uh, Nova Scotia? Uh, well, I've, after moving there, it took a while to recover. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to move a household, a husband, five cats from a big <laughs> house into a little house. Yeah. Well, we're delighted to have you here. And I am so happy to be back in St. Nice John's. It's nice to see you again. So thank yeah. you for coming on the show. Oh, you're most welcome, Dale. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ich underscore nl. Thanks for listening.